Hey, profs. Welcome on in. My name's Rob Lightfoot, proud two-time alum of Rick Edelman College of Communication, class of 2000-2001. This is Beyond the Brown and Gold. I'm Jessica Kennedy. I'm the co-host here, also a two-time proud Rowan alum, class of 2008 from the Rick Edelman College of Communication and Creative Arts, and 2015 from the College of Education. Thanks so much for joining us today. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM presents Beyond the Brown and Gold, a show that highlights the lives and memories of Glassboro State and Rowan University alumni. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Lightfoot and Jessica Kennedy. All the way from San Antonio. All the way from San Antonio. Comes 1991 alum, Dr. Mark Allen. They do things bigger in Texas over there. Yeah. But... And ankles too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you think the feet and ankles in Texas are bigger than they are here? Um, I think so, actually. I think do that's you? what they're known for. It's like they're, you know, some states have like state flowers or birds and stuff, and they just are known for their foot and ankles. They're at least known for Dr. Allen, who is board certified in both foot surgery and in rear foot, which is an ankle. I didn't really even know that an ankle was considered a rear foot. And reconstructive surgery by the American Board of Foot and Ankle Surgery. Yeah, he was a, a 1991 alum from Glassboro State. He then went on to Temple to uh, complete his medical degree. And he has done a, a lot of things since he has left campus. And he works for the uh, San Antonio Spurs organization. Or actually, they're connected to the Spurs. He doesn't yeah, work he for Yeah, he actually does a lot of consulting for many different sports teams. He's training. He's He does research. He's published quite a few educational things really uh, we don't get into too much of the profession we talk a lot about Glassboro State yeah how he got here what he's up to and kind of the unique path of um, finding yourself I would say <laughs> so I have to say that we are very lucky because we've had a decent amount of lums travel to see us yeah so, and we have another one now yes we have had somebody from California but now we have somebody from Big old state of Texas. As we Texas like to call, forever. As we like to call it the great state of Texas. Yes. All right. <laughs> thank you for coming all this way to hang out with us. Wasn't the only reason you came. No, <laughs> no, it, it wasn't. But uh, honestly, anytime that I get a chance to come back to uh, New Jersey, Philadelphia area, which I'm originally from, I always come back to the campus in some form or fashion. Uh, sometimes it's formal and other times I... Uh, just drag my wife along and say, I'm just going to go drive through the campus. There's something about reminiscing and, and being here because it brings you back to a point in your life where you were. When you're in college, you know, life is great. Life has innocence to it. As you get older, you know, we have life. We have we have uh, challenges. We have uh, just anything that comes with it. So there was, a, you know, just such a state of innocence here. And so uh, as I come back at different times, I get a chance to just kind of relive it and then also get a chance to appreciate the, the evolution of the, of the university. And I follow it pretty closely, uh, to be honest, uh, on the social media platforms, the Internet uh, and, and such. So I, I have a really good uh, on the pulse of what's happening and and so it's really nice to be able to view it from a distance and then it's another thing to actually come and see it uh coming through fruition in, in person it's it's fantastic fantastic so let's set the stage a little bit about yeah. where and how you got here where you grew up and how you sort of came to glassboro state college at the time right you're 91 yeah. so it's an interesting story uh, i will definitely say that i was not supposed to go to college uh, no one in my family had ever gone to college father didn't graduate from high school my mother graduated at that time from uh beauty school. And, um, you know, they were hardworking blue collar folks. As I grew up, I have one younger sister also. And uh, yeah, college was not for me. Uh, or it wasn't supposed to be. I went to school at Overbrook High School. 
And at that time, my academics weren't really anything that was put before me. Uh, I do remember uh, taking a test sometime in around ninth or 10th grade. And I do remember the uh, counselor looking at me after taking it, and uh, he said to me, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He said, you're, you're really underachieving here. And I said, uh, okay. Yeah, um, he said, you have an IQ of about 143. And I said, I don't know what that means. Yeah, tell me because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Yeah. Evidently, it supposedly means that I have potential to, to be bright. I, I don't know. At that point, I didn't really think about it. And uh, that's why we don't know about it. Yeah, because I was I was completely I was completely under I was completely underachieving, and uh, but I was having a good time. I had great friends. I, I mean, I had a really great time. I had such you know. My, I look back to growing up. I grew up in Lindenwald area. And I just had the best friends and families over there. And, and interestingly enough, I think why we all had such a special relationship is because we all needed each other. In hindsight, all of our families were low income and we all needed each other. So we didn't have time to worry about all these differences between us and such yep. because we all needed each other. We were all part of the village. To this day, I, I have close relationship with friends now that I've known for 40 years. Mm. And but going back to high school, uh, again, I was put into a path of, you, you know, you're, you're just going to go vocational. And actually, I was supposed to go to the vocational school and I was set up to become a welder. The only reason I didn't go is because I was having too good of a time with all my friends <laughs> at the high school. So I never went. Um, and then when we were graduating, I remember going to the guidance counselor and I was asking him, I said, so where's my class rank? And I remember him saying to me, he goes, you don't really want to know. <laughs> Because <laughs> it doesn't really mean much. And I said, okay. So I found out that I was actually a 303 out of 309. Now, oh. now fortunately, and I had a 1.67 GPA. So for, for people who don't know, that's not good. Yeah, <laughs> We're time, looking at a four is pretty but solid. You know what? But, it was been yeah. pretty good at the time. You know, now <laughs> it in, worked for you. Now in hindsight, in hindsight, had I graduated a year later, I wouldn't have met the state requirements to graduate. <laughs> but that year, I got in. I'll never forget. They bring us all into the into picture this now. I don't imagine they do this now. They bring us all into the auditorium, the graduating class, and the vice president and our vice principal gets up there and says, "If we do not call your name, you should." Uh, uh, go to the uh, president's office or to the counselor's office, right? So basically they're saying if if we don't call your name, you're not graduating. And so, of course, my name begins with an A. And I think there was two others in front of me because we always share at the same homeroom. And when he said my name, I was ecstatic. I, I didn't know what to expect, but I made it. I, I made it. And um, But after that, I had no idea what I was going to do, none. I was having fun. It was the summer. I had a car that I had purchased, friends of mine. And my one friend, Carl, who's my best friend to this day, Carl was a year older than me, and Carl actually had a lot of athletic potential. His family, and probably his brother, even to this day, even being involved in sports medicine, is probably the, the best well-rounded high school athlete I've ever seen in my life. His name was Ken Moore. Carl got recruited by Gloucester County. Now, we lived in Camden County, but he got recruited by Gloucester County to run track there. Now, the connection is, is that you're a cross-country coach now. Ringo Adamson was coaching at Gloucester County back then, and Ringo knew these other guys from running track. So he, he recruited Carl to come to Gloucester County. Carl's car broke down, or so he tells me, but I am pretty sure that Carl didn't have any gas money. And so he asked me if I could drive him to Gloucester County College to uh, enroll, and I said, okay, sure, I'll take you. So I get there, and I'm walking around, and when I'm looking around, I'm seeing all these people. And I'm going, gosh, there's a lot of girls here. This is, <laughs> this is really, this is like real, this. this is really something. 
And and so he and I are talking, and, and Carl, he goes, you should come here too. And I'm like, really? Can I come? He goes, listen, this is great. You come here, you sign up for classes, you get these Pell Grants, and they give you money, and you go to school. I'm like, well, hell, I can do that. Never, now, mind you, I never took an SAT. I never even saw algebra in high school. Never saw it. I saw it, but I didn't, didn't really see it. No. And <laughs> so, so college to me was not anything on my radar. So at this point, it was an extension of going into something social. So I sit down and I sign up, and Carl's kind of where you are. And, he's, and I said, well, what are you taking? He goes, well, I'm going to do some, some criminal justice. I said, oh, Lord, well, you've been involved with it enough. You should know. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, kidding. And, um, and both of us were so naive. We're, we're, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do with our lives at that point. And uh, the lady who's signing us up, she goes, well, no, you have to take uh, the, the basic skills test. And I said, okay, so that's not a problem. So I, I do that, and now well, they basically found out I didn't know much of anything. <laughs> and in hindsight, I think I stopped learning when I got kicked out of Catholic school in fifth grade. I went to St. Agnes High, uh, Catholic School in Blackwood, and midway through the fifth year, they told my mom, please don't bring him back. What were you up? I got to know. How no, do you get ahead, kicked no, out ahead. of? You get kicked out of fifth grade? What, what were you up to, Mr. What, Mark Allen? Well, I got kicked out grade. of kindergarten also, if you ask my really? mom. Really? Yeah, okay. so this is where I lived also in Florida because when I didn't make it through school, I would have to go stay with my grandmother somewhere else and that was in Florida to finish out the year. Okay. I do remember the kidney the kindergarten incident. The kindergarten incident was <laughs> the kindergarten incident of what? The car- 84 or yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember that one. That's when I, I, I crawled out of a window and, and, and escaped the classroom and, okay. and went home. And that didn't go over too big. I mean that sounds like a supervision problem, not a mark. No, Mark yeah. Problem, well, right? that was also like, a, was it a third floor building? It, it was actually two floors. It, wow. was, it was actually two floors. And so I had to go finish there. When I was in the Catholic school, because my mom said, well, I'll fix his. I'll put him in Catholic school, right? And so sure enough, that's what she did. And that, that was rough. That was a little rough. And I don't think they understood me much. And um, so by fourth grade, my mom was pleading for them to keep me. And by fifth grade, I think they had had enough. And, and in hindsight, I was never a bad kid. I just was kind of rambunctious. And I guess today you'd probably even consider it to be ADD or something yeah. or, or some. But now you fast forward in the high school and now in hindsight, the, the IQ and such, I, I was just bored. I think I was bored and just wasn't engaged. But I will say the, the Catholic education definitely taught me some things. Um, but uh, when I got the results of that uh, basic skills test back, yeah, that wasn't too impressive. But that's okay. It didn't mean anything to me because, again, um, I'm signing up and I had to take remedial and developmental courses yep. for a year and a half to two years before I could even take now what I know is a 100-level college course. It didn't mean anything to me. I was still... You were just like, yeah, more time to hang out with these kids. Exactly. And you will see as we go along how this evolves. So this whole thing about becoming a doctor is not that impressive. Oh, boy. Right? So (laughs) We're not burying the lead, are we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... So as as we uh, go on, I'm taking a 100-level college. Finally, I, I well, let me back up. I'm starting to take these remedial and developmental courses along with my friends, okay? Uh, all of us never have had anything successful academically. So we're starting to take these classes, and something starts to tick a little bit that I can actually learn, like uh, for the first time. It was, it was, it was interesting. Um, Any particular class that, that kind of... Science has started to resonate with me for some reason. And, and, and then I started to think about what is it I like to do? Well, I was always athletic. I tended to work out all the time. And so something about taking care of people. And early on, it started to evolve into I may be an athletic trainer. 
so I started to hedge towards some health sciences and would take those classes. And as I was going on, all of a sudden my friends were like, man, you're, what, what, you got an A? Like, are you studying? Like, <laughs> who you, are you? Who are you? Yeah, it was this metamorphosis that took place. And what I found happened was once I got engaged in academics, the academics took on a competitive nature that sports did before that. And it was really neat because you were sort of like this underdog. And so you had these other individuals uh, who um, were maybe more your prototypical college students, and then there was me. Mm. And then um, it, it became this competition between who would mess up the curve. And so I just started working really hard. And as I worked really hard, I started getting better grades. And then as I started getting better grades, it was contagious. I started getting better. And I, I had no idea how to study or anything and, and started to learn how to do that. And as time went on, it just kept kind of building on upon itself. And then at some point, I knew I had to leave there. I couldn't stay at Gloucester County College forever. I mean, you could have, I, <laughs> I guess, mean, I, but then you had to be a productive citizen. Yeah, somewhere. which I was there. So to give you an idea. So after the first year there, my friends and I were sitting in the student center over there. And we see the signs on the wall that say that there's a student government president election coming up, right? And we see the guy that's running, and he's dressed really nice, and he's handing out pamphlets and doing everything. We're just kind of observing him. And my friends and all look, and we go, well, you could do that. I'm like, yeah, I think I can. <laughs> and so <laughs> sure enough, my friends and everyone, they start rounding up everything. Next thing you know, I'm elected the student government president at a Gloucester County College. <laughs> That's fantastic. I have no leadership knowledge. I have nothing. Now with this, I get my own office. I get a, a secretary to help me. It, it, was, it was wonderful. And then I started having to lead meetings. I had to do things. So it was this early introduction to handling meetings. And, and leadership in? Leadership in general, people skills, working with people. And so, yeah, I was a student government president there for a year. We still haven't got the how the heck I got the row one. Yeah, right? where did you? Yeah, where so do I, we fit in this? I puzzle, told you huh? it was it's it's as uh, it's a very convoluted thing that that evolved for sure. When I was coming here eventually, and I came here uh, because I didn't know any better. I didn't know where else to go. I didn't. I there was nothing around me saying choose these schools. This is what you might think of. Um, so, of course, I was comfortable with the area. So, sure. I, so I knew where I could go. I knew where home was. Um, and so I was applying to come here as a transfer student. And I knew that at this point, I had kind of wanted to be athletic trainer. Now, maybe that I was getting a little bit better in classes, maybe now I'm involving into physical therapy. So I decide that I'm going to come to, which at the time was Glassboro State, and I'm looking through all of the classes. And the one thing I see on there that I'll never forget, it said calculus. At this point, after two years at Gloucester County, actually two, two and a half, almost three years, I think I was there, I had taken algebra once or twice or three times, and I always dropped it. I, I just couldn't do it. Now, mind you, I'm doing chemistry. I, got, I took chemistry one and chemistry two and got two A's in those. So you have the ability to do the math. Yes. Yeah. So, but what I didn't realize by doing the chemical equations, I, wa I was solving for a variable, but I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. I was smart enough to befriend this gentleman who moved here from Somalia. And he was seeking his citizenship here and going to school. His name was Lou. That was his American name he had taken. Now, he could not write a sentence to save his life in English, 
and I didn't know how to do chemistry. So he and I literally, all two semesters, worked together. So smart. So he would teach me, not necessarily algebra, he would say, look, if they're looking for this in the question, this is what the, the formula looks like. And so I just rem- I memorized all those. And then I would help him write sentences. And that's how I got through chemistry, one and two with an A. And um, my anatomy class, the same thing. Where's Lou now? Do we still keep in touch I with I don't Lou? know. I do not know where Lou is. You know what? We're going to track changer. him. We should track Lou down. Yeah. You know, but I, I will tell you, wherever Lou is, I bet Lou is doing great. I bet he's doing amazing. He was an amazing person. And uh, when you talk to someone like that and you, you get an appreciation of their plight to get here, amazing. Just amazing. I'm sure he's doing well. And um, so I was trying to take algebra. And uh, I just couldn't get it. And so when I saw that calculus, I'm like, God, how am I going to get the calculus? I can't even get through algebra at this point. So that summer I was transferring in. And so what I decided to do that summer, uh, at this point I'm working in California at my dad's company. And uh, so I bought a textbook. I went to University of Berkeley and I went through their bookstore and I brought an, an algebra textbook. And that summer I taught myself algebra. Mm. I, did, I did the algebra textbook from cover to cover four times that summer. Okay, can we just say getting kicked out of kindergarten, then fifth grade, but then <laughs> then he's like 20 by an algebra books over the summer. What? I, I, I love algebra too. Do you? I love mm. algebra. Oh no. I'm a huge fan. I ended up loving it. And the reason I loved it, not just algebra one and algebra two and calculus and calculus one, what I've learned is I like when things are provable. When That's exactly what I think. I don't I like, like about when it. they're not black and white. And what I learned about algebra or calculus or trigonometry or any of them, all you have to do is prove it. You have the opportunity to have 100 on every single test. So there is no subjective grading. When I would take classes that had a subjective input from somebody writing, you know, yeah. what they – I psychology. I hated it. No, that's – I love that. No, see, I, I can't you do just that. I mean, either. I'm with you. I know. That's a yeah, feeling. I don't like gray or – I like black I, and white. Yes. I need a very defined yes. – But for you, that's interesting because you have a very strong faith. So yeah. it's something that's not totally pro- – I mean – pretty provable there's yes, a big book say. on it we could open up a whole, yeah, <laughs> 66, but 66 that's interesting to me that you really like the provable point yeah no I, I i need that black and white answer i need that like finite point. it used to drive me crazy when somebody would subjectively review something uh because even now i'm, I'm very much you know black and white math science there's there's an answer and and and, and it's just fact it just is what it is it's and your not, patients probably appreciate that by the way yeah i mean it, it, you, you throw in the human factor also but that's why I enjoyed it. And, and once I uh, got that, then it gave me the confidence to come back and enroll. And then I took the algebra classes and got an A. Then I'll never forget when I got to – now, the whole time I had taken organic chemistry and got two A's in that, uh, chemistry and A. I, so I was doing A's in just about everything. But I wasn't necessarily – Your parents like, holy cow, yeah, yeah. nut. What okay. were you doing so he, the he, whole Here time? you go. This is, this is how my parents react, all right? This is awesome. So the first time I come home um, and I want to go to Gloucester County College, I come home and I tell my mom. And now this was probably, who knows, uh, the, the fifth thing in life I was going to do in about five months after graduating high school. So I come back to her probably in August. I said, Mom, now I'm going to go to college. My mom said, college? I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. She goes, hold on a second. So she calls my dad. And she goes, oh, uh, college. Uh, okay. Put, 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 you, put him on the phone. <laughs> And I said, yeah, Dad, I, I need um, about two, $300. I'm going to go to college. He goes, you're, you're going to go to college? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to college. Okay. Um, 
put your mother back on the phone. <laughs> and so I'm listening to them, and I hear my mom. She goes, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Let's just kind of go with it, right? So my parents, you know, my dad, <laughs> I love him so much, but here was the expectations. The expectations is, listen, when you graduate from high school and you turn 18, I need you to do three things. One, graduate from high school, don't be in jail, and don't have anybody pregnant. <laughs> That was it. Yeah, the the bar's pretty low. That was it. So when I turned 18, he's like, did my job. Did my job. Did my job. So uh, anything above that was a bonus. It was a bonus. And so, um, you know, when it came to college, you know, they didn't have much to offer because they had no experience. It was a completely different world. So they they had nothing. You're a first gen. First generation. Absolutely. To this day, the greatest accomplishment ever in in college was that A in calculus. Mm. And even now, I can look at my transcripts and say, nobody can ever take it away from me. And so now, fast forward when you have kids and they're having challenges, you know, and now I can say to them, my daughter was doing pre-calculus and saying how tough it was. I'm like, I did it. The other thing that had occurred uh, as I was going through this, again, meeting people, I wind up, I'm going to do some free time and figure out if I want to be an athletic trainer or a physical therapist. So I wind up in a clinic in Woodbury, a place then called Woodbury Sports Medicine. At the time, I start working with this guy. Never met him before. Kind of crazy. Name's Pat Croce, right? I start working with Pat Croce. And this is when all of a sudden now Pat Croce is starting to train the Sixers players and the Flyers players. And, well, then Pat Croce ends up getting all these physical therapy centers and selling the Nova Healthcare and, you know, then becomes. But then he did some TV. He did TV. He did some TV spots. Owns the Sixers. Owns and, the Sixers. And, and, and so, again, it, it's this being in the – my life is also being in the right place at the right time around the right people and recognizing uh, greatness in people and seeing what they do and figuring out how they got it. So and did he kind of expose you to that world of he sports did. medicine? He did. He did. He did. And – he was, he was fantastic to me, uh, and, and I was only there for maybe a month or two, but he was so energetic and so personable and also somewhat of a similar background, and you would see him evolving and creating himself and creating this brand and being really smart and, and making a difference, and, you know, you can do this. That's what he told me. You can do this, and so it was really inspiring uh, to see that. One of the folks that maybe had impact on your life, maybe you can talk to uh, Dr. Marr? Yeah, Dr. Marr. You know, Dr. Marr, so he, at the time, Richard Marr was the head of the life sciences department. And I had had him for some classes. And Dr. Marr came to me going into our senior year. And he says to me, he goes, Mark, so what are you going to do when you graduate? I told him, I said, Dr. Marr, you know, I'll be honest, I haven't even really thought about it. I said, all I want to do is graduate. I said, no one in my family's ever graduated from college. I just want to graduate. It's all I want to do. I don't care what I do after that. I would just like to do this. And he said to me, he said, well, why don't you consider going to medical school? And I was like, medical school? I'm like, it's a lot more school. I'm like, medical school? I'm like, I'm there. I looked at him, I said, Dr. Moore, that's for really smart people, <laughs> medical school. And, and he just kind of ran his ha- hands through his hair. He used to have this, you know, great head of gray hair. And he just, and he finally looks up at me and he says, Mark, you know, um, you, you're close to being our valedictorian. And I looked at him and I said, what's that? Mm. I had no idea wow. what that was. No idea. And, uh, and whether or not there was truth to that, I, I don't know. Uh, so he said, well, you're going to have to do something because you have about 160 credits. Again, me being as bright as I am, I said, is that a lot? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. I was just taking classes. As a science major, 
without guidance, I felt that I had to take every class in that book. <laughs> that's awful. So that's if you, that's so, awful. That just, you just needed to go see an advisor. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I never did. I didn't even know these services existed, yeah. right? So I'm taking all these different – I was running out of sciences to take. Yeah. Right? So he comes to me and he goes, this is a real issue because you don't have any of these other classes. You know, from the electives, from the, the electives. liberal arts, and you didn't the, take the any music. Courses. No general ed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here we go to that one. He goes, "You need to go take one of these." So I sit down and I look and I go, "Okay, film history and appreciation, one and two. Well, I'm a science major. You can't take two without taking one, of course, right? Because it's got to prepare you. So, film history appreciation one. Were you too uh, fortunate to take that? Yes, Absolutely, of yes. right. Yes. So, from the beginning of the creation of a reel. <laughs> Uh, let me just tell I, – should I throw myself under no, the bus? No, please, because I'm going to do it. Okay. I took that course. Yeah. Much respect to the RTF department yes. and the, his, the rich history of film, very important. Black and white, silent yes. films, Friday morning. Oh, no. Didn't stay awake for a single class the whole semester. Nosferatu? Thank did God. you watch Nosferatu? That was like the... I, who knows? Maybe okay. I did. I, much praise to my good friend to this day, Joe Stoudenmeyer, who did stay awake for the courses and taught them to me <laughs> afterwards. Very God neat. bless him. But did you have a similar problem, Mark? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> did you not like the film? Did you so like? think about this. Yeah. I, I'm sitting in a film history appreciation class. I am math and science weighted. Yes. I'm, I don't know what I'm coming into let alone, uh, to your point, 16 weeks. Mm -hmm. I don't even think we got to the silent films first, right? I think that was midway through the semester. They took you through black and white. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. It was so painful. Yeah. It was so painful. It's not like movies are now. Right. And then I learned, well, if you were taking history, then it ended with the beginning of the good movies, like in the mid-40s and 50s, you know, like uh, Orson Welles and such. I'm like, Wait, so you don't need to take two before, I mean, one before two? No, not with the film. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but that, that, that's the class where I fell in love with James Cagney. So oh, yeah. But yeah, it was yeah, at the yeah. very end of the class. You very recall, end of you the class. You have a good memory. But, you know, even classes like that teach you to endure, right? Because I started to look at, at the university or just anything in life sometimes. There's, there's these hurdles and these obstacles that are thrown in front of you. You have a choice. You can either complain about it and let it define you and move you in a different direction or you just recognize it for what it is and go it's you know it's 16 weeks of my life and i'll get over anything for 16 weeks exactly and just Mm -hmm. move past it and 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 so i guess that in some way plays a role but uh so anyway when he said that to me we had to move some classes around so my uh human biochemistry actually became an elective Good. Yeah, well, no, because for most of us, it would be. Uh, human bio was. I did take human bio. And Jeez. we studied Golgi apparatus. Yeah, yeah. The Golgi, I just go. want to say Golgi apparatus on a podcast. Oh, you just, yeah. you just excited know. me. I know. Gosh, you just excited me. Oh, my goodness. That was good. Yes, that was, was good. That's fantastic. the only thing. That and, uh, I don't know, century uh, old, century old. Oh, oh, look you? at you. Look, look at, at you. It's all coming Oh, back. my God. Yeah. What do you got this guy in a studio for? Yeah, I know. He's brilliant. I didn't even realize. I had this in But can you explain it? No. <laughs> so you know the word I bet marketing. I think we need to check his IQ. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. And don't make me say endoplasmic reticulum right now. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. See this? All right, we're done. We're done. All right. I used all my education. All right. Thank you. So you had to fill out your schedule so I had you could actually out. walk. Yes. Yeah. Very quickly. And then did you want what, – what was your plan after walk? Did you have no plan? Did you so wait by then before I did. you went to so, medical school? So by then I did. So he had told me – Dr. Morgan, that's why he played such an instrumental role. And I will always say um, 
the greatest thing he did for me was he identified in something in me that I did not see at that time. And um, so he said, well, look, I want you to take the MCAT. And of course, I had no idea what the MCAT was. He said, I'm going to get you a scholarship to go to the Sylvan Learning Centers on the weekend if you'll go and prep for the MCAT. I'm like, okay, no problem. And so I did. And so I did that for about nine months. And um, I took the MCAT, almost didn't do it because I fell asleep in my dorm because I was an RA. And my alarm didn't go off, and my friends had to eventually break into the dorm and throw a rock through my window to wake me up that morning. And they threw me in the back of their 40 XP with a cup of coffee. (laughs) And away we went to, I think it was down at Stockton, we went to take the MCAT test. And so we took it, and you know what? To this day, I have no idea what my results were Mm. because they were sent to Dr. Moore. Wow. They were sent to him, and uh, he came to me, and he said, you know, okay, so where would you like to go? And I said, wow. I don't really know what you mean. And he said, Well, you know, look, you got options now. You got options. We, 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 we can do this. And um, it, one thing fell into place. And for me, to your point, there was no plan. So the plan then was, so I can go back to school for four more years. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm I'm pretty good at school. I can do this. This life is pretty good. Um, so and I had no plan. And so it just kind of evolved and. He made it happen and helped me with selection and choice, and then I sign up, and there we go. Thank goodness for mentors, right? Yeah. They just, like, picked you up, and, and he was like, no, you're gonna, we're going to get you. Yeah, in. look at the trajectory that he it's, it's, the impact he had on Well, he, you know, he, he changed my life, my family's life, uh, kids' life, uh, you name it, and that's why I endowed the scholarship in, yeah. in his name. So I'm Al, Al, and then I went to University of Pennsylvania for an internship, and then Thomas Jefferson University, and... Um, then University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio. So you can imagine the requests I get for alumni donations. (laughs) 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 You know, and on Facebook. Don't don't pick them all up. Don't pick them all up. Nothing matters quite as much as your undergrad Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, from Penn and everyone, you're always getting, you know, because they have this social profile, and so it's always sending you things. Now, before we we jump to, like, your professional and what your career space is now, we're going to jump into a spot that mm-hmm. I'm going to geek out a little bit, Jess. Yeah, you Are you okay with out. this? I'm, I'm going to take a rest. No, yeah. <laughs> no, you're going to jump into <laughs> okay, this world okay, too. Okay. So, so many people, including myself, didn't know this about Mark until the other day when we did, I guess we can call it like a pre-interview. I guess I would have called you out of the blue. But we were happened to be talking and he had, yeah, I'm coming back to the area. And I said, oh, oh. he's like, you're never going to believe what I'm coming back for. And I said, well, what do you, what do you come back to Philly for? Because he lives in Texas. It's a wrestling reunion show. And I was like, all right. Tell me more. What do we got here? So I'll let you sort of pick up the coverage because while you were in residency in medical school, yeah. you. Yeah. So this is just another chapter in this thing I call life, right? So uh, as I'm a resident at Jefferson, I end up winding up with a patient. And it's interesting. I've, I met him at the gym working out and I initially almost thought he was probably homeless i'm not sure just yeah, okay. <laughs> you can see it from the character right okay yes. and he's limping around and of course you know i i'm like hey you know can i help you with anything right and he ended up having a foot issue and such and so i end up taking care of him well as i'm getting to know him uh he's a professional wrestler and he goes by the name of raven and so we end up befriending each other and i'm working with him but while he was injured he could not wrestle. And at the time, he was the heavyweight champion or the top guy for what was then called uh, ECW or Extreme Championship uh, Wrestling. And that was uh, out of uh, South Philly at Swanson and Rittner. 
And um, this was a local promotion that ended up being a national promotion. And so he said to me, and I knew nothing about wrestling, nothing. Uh, I had watched some as a kid, and uh, but outside of that, I never really paid a lot of attention to it. So he says, you need to come and talk to Paul Heyman or Paul E., who runs the company, and you need to let him know that, look, I'm legitimately injured. I'm not, quote, unquote, working him or BSing him. So uh, you need to come and do that. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So I come, and uh, I meet Paul E., and, and I said, look, you know, I'm here to tell you, you know, he's legitimately injured, and so whatever that's worth, right? And so <laughs> I guess he takes that with a grain of salt. And again, this is right place, right time. So as I'm standing there talking to Paul E., the um, State Athletic Commission walks up to him and says, okay, Paul e., uh, you need to have a doctor on site tonight because, you know, that's State Athletic Commission. And um, Paul e. didn't have one. And so he said to me, he goes, hey, could you uh, do this tonight? And I'm like, do what? He said, uh, stay here and, you know, be this, what the medical commission's asking for. And I'm like, um, I, I don't know. And so I thought about it and I went aside and Raven at the time, he said to me, he goes, listen, he goes, if he's going to let you, if he's asking you to do this, make him pay you. I mm -hmm. said, oh, okay, uh, sure, sure. He said, I said, how much should I make him pay me? And he told me, I said, all right, well, whatever. So I went over and I gave him a price. He goes, done. So he writes me a check and I signed a piece of paper. Didn't think anything more of it. And so I'm there that night, and I'm watching this uh, that I never watched before. And then one of the nights I'm there, I'm up on this uh, platform, and I'm watching. And there's the wrestling ring, and there's three levels of tables stacked on top of each another. And remember, this is called Extreme, extreme, extreme. Championship Wrestling. Extreme Championship Wrestling. Yeah. All right. So, and then I'm suspended above the three layers of tables. There is a platform hanging from the ceiling, mm -hmm. right? Doesn't everybody have that? Of course, right? <laughs> I mean, this is, this is like something a little different, right? So as I'm watching this, you see the wrestlers, they're fighting, they're doing their thing, and then all of a sudden they're starting to climb this, this platform. And next, they're 20 feet above the ring fighting up on this platform that's hooked to the ceiling with chains, and it's swinging back and forth. And I'm just sitting there sort of like just looking and going, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> the next thing I know, the one guy at the time, his name is Tommy Dreamer, uh, he punches the other guy, and the other guy goes flying off the platform and splats down through the three layers of table onto the ring. Oh, my gosh. That's what I thought. <laughs> and I sat there, and I thought to myself, I think I just watched somebody die. <laughs> oh, my yeah, gosh. Right? Yeah. I, I really did. I really, really thought that I watched somebody die. And... Um, I come running down there and, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, first of all, he's got three layers of tables all over him. I yeah. can't even get to the guy. <laughs> you know, he looks like an earthquake had occurred here. And uh, his name was Primetime Brian Lee. That was his name, Primetime Brian Lee. And uh, so we finally get to him, and uh, there were other people that were paramedics and everything that would work this with us. And uh, they were more uh, on the inside of wrestling than I was. And so... Part of the storyline was, of course, to take him out and, you know, make everything much more dramatic. But at that point, I was scared to death. I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't want anything to do with this. Yeah. This, this is crazy. Like, somebody's really going to die here. Well, they're like, well, yeah, you know, two weeks ago, Terry Funk and Cactus Jack, they set the ring on fire. And, well, that was somewhat of an issue. And But we got it out. I'm like, yeah. Okay. No, oh not a problem. Gosh. Not a problem. Um, but long story, long story long, that evolves into a five-year relationship where I started doing it each weekend. 
And so I would help coordinate the coverage of the medical care for them. Then we started to travel. Then we started to go national. Then there were pay-per-views. There was, uh, and it was really. So you were traveling with the shows as they were moving across country. So yes. are they actually getting, this is where I get yeah. No, no, yeah, no. You yeah. can ask these questions. Okay, so wrestling is, okay, so it's made to believe like it's real, but there's rehearsal. Like they, that's probably not the first time that person fell through those. You say wrestling <laughs> is not real. What? So that's probably not the first time that is this, guy fell through three where, tables, right? Where are you going next? So, <laughs> Is, is this San, is a kid-friendly show. You're going to tell me Santa Claus no, is No, if you real? don't believe, you don't receive. You don't, that's exactly. You know what I, I mean? I agree. I agree. Um, but so were they actually getting hurt? Yes. Okay. Yes, a- absolutely. You know, uh, I, what a what – a, boy, I'll tell you, what a respect I ended up getting for these folks. Um, to your point, yes, it is, is predetermined. It's choreographed. And a lot of it is made up on, on the go. Uh, a lot of the wrestlers will do what they call – they call it in the ring. And so, because some of it has to be improvised. And so when you see them tie up or do things, they're calling what they call spots or things to do next. And if I'm the person getting tied up, I'm like, whoa, 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 this was. Well, I'm sorry. When I mean tied up, meaning meaning they engage each other and they kind of hold each other a little yeah. bit. They, I'm this sorry. wasn't in the Yeah, no, I didn't mean, I didn't mean, I didn't mean physically. Was this on page three? I, all right, I didn't mean that. I mean when they did. did I didn't see this on page three. I didn't see this on page three. That's funny. But it's amazing when you, when you really start to understand them, how they make this seem to flow so well and then there's this part of it to where you're building these characters and the character's job are to engage the audience and get the audience to actually care that you're doing something as opposed to you know yawning but to your point yeah maybe choreographed and, and predetermined but those those things that they do these guys and girls they're they're really getting hurt i mean these are these are legitimate and uh now that i'm 20 years or so removed from ecw i'm still friends with all of those folks and not many of them are standing too upright these days. I mean, yeah. there, there's a few, but, uh, you know, they, they gave their heart and their soul for that business and for that company, all for the uh, ability to entertain mm-hmm. for, the, for the audience and for the product, and then also to try to go to the next level, to the what then was WWE or WCW. Yeah, sure. um, but, yeah, so I ended up being working with them for over five years, and it was a, a really interesting experience. So I would go from University of Pennsylvania or Thomas Jefferson Monday through Friday, and then to the ECW Arena at Swanson and Rittner, <laughs> Friday like and Saturday. And, and how were you doing that while traveling the country? It was very interesting. So I had other residents and such, so I would have to, I would have to set it up to where I would get coverage when I would be gone. And when I would travel, it was interesting. So when I would end up traveling, if we were going to Ohio or Detroit or something, I didn't do anything with the state then. So I was just traveling now as part of ECW. So Paul was like, yeah, just, you know, get your plane trip, send on the bills to me. And interesting, like, you know, a lot of folks in ECW didn't get paid. Mm-hmm. I never got anything not paid, which is unbelievable. Uh, if you, anyone has listened to this knows the history of it. But uh, it, it just became really a... It gave me the ability to have some insight into a different part of life that uh, was very intriguing and interesting and yet respected what they all did and what they were trying to do. It's sort of like I was above watching it and just viewing it from the outside in and just seeing how all this worked. It was really interesting. And then, of course, many of them went to them. It was WCW and then said WWE, which some are still there today. Like Paul Heyman's there now. Was I think he's managing Roman Reigns now and yeah, Brock, yeah. And Brock Lesnar. And, yeah, and he's got others. some sort of like storyline that's been yeah. there forever and a day. And it's, but it's neat. It was, it was a, a neat time in life and it was really uh, interesting to do it and uh, fun and it provided a lot of unique opportunities and 
sort of like when I was telling you about my brother from uh, my brother Jack is he's a lead singer of uh, two bands from the 80s and the 90s one is called Night Ranger and their biggest hit was Sister Christian and then um, wow. uh, that's, and so, that's exciting for a radio buff Yes, yeah. I love that song. Yeah, Sister Christian. That plays a lot on these areas. Does it? Yeah, mm-hmm. Sister Christian, and then in, in the uh, early '90s, a band called Damn Yankees, which was Jack Blaze and Tommy Shaw from Sticks and Ted Nugent. So life takes you to San Antonio, where you are now. Yeah, which is another just weird thing, you know. So I um, there was a another mentor there, and he had a year before that he had said to me. You, you need to come to San Antonio and do my fellowship. And I said, you know, Dr. Harkless, I'll do that. You know, because, again, I, I, one thing I will say, this is why I say about being coming a doctor, I was in no rush to go to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? I was in no rush to go to work. I was really enjoying school. I was applying to do fellowships, and um, he called a week or two late, and I had accepted one in Atlanta. He called a week later and goes, you know, I'm calling you because I want to get your, you know, come down. I said, geez, Dr. Harkless, I'm really sorry. I said, I accepted one in Atlanta already. And uh, he said, well, that's fine. You go do that one, and then you come here after that. And I said, okay, sure. So I went to Atlanta for a year, and then after Atlanta, then I went to uh, San Antonio, uh, the U- at San Antonio. And, that's, that's, and I never thought I was going to stay there, never. Uh, Texas and, you know, my idea of going to Texas from being up here is, man, oh, man, there's – there's tumbleweed, you know, there's horses, there's, this is, where, what am I getting myself? The stars myself? at night, they're big and bright. Yeah, <laughs> what am I getting myself into with, with going, so I never thought I would go there and uh, finish that fellowship, and we can go on from there about, again, how another opportunity, right place, right time, right person, sets the stage for something bigger as life goes on. And so You've been a f- team foot and ankle consultant for you know, some small teams like the San Antonio Spurs, San yeah. Antonio FC soccer team. I mean, you've really you've really tied your love of science and pretty neat and athletics together pretty nicely. Put a nice bow on that. But you know, it's interesting. You know, all of those things are really neat to do, and it's such a privilege uh, to really even be able to work with some sports franchises like that at that level. And, and the San Antonio Spurs franchise. It's really a special organization. It truly is. I would say that our experience and our success or whatever we have it uh, over the last 20 years from this practice I started was rooted in the Spurs organization. Mm -hmm. And again, follow a winner, emulate what they do, find out what they do and why they do it. And the Spurs organization from top down is a unique organization. It really and truly is. And so the culture and the values that were in, that were in, in the in the Spurs organization naturally just infected our group and the way that we conducted business and the way we did things and the way we handled people and the way we extend health care the way that we don't pay attention to what insurance you have well, you know we just are, we have an obligation in community um, and so our values have really paralleled the Spurs and I think. You know, uh, success comes with that, and success is always relative, right? But uh, I guess happiness and, and, and fulfillment. And uh, so as the Spurs went, uh, so did we. And for me, taking care of the Spurs, that, that wasn't me. That's me, again, being in the right place, right time, right person. But you got a lot of different ones. A lot of— <laughs> Yes. Yeah, why, don't we, I mean, why don't we talk about it? Yeah. I mean, you were in a lot of right places at the right time. It seems that way. So I feel like you got to give yourself some credit for that. 
because that yeah, they're not, is... They're not picking up trash. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> you know I mean? They're not, you know, I feel like it sounds like you were really a go-getter. When you found your passion, you really stuck with it, and you were a go-getter, and you put yourself in those places. So that's, you know, got to give yourself... There's that little, that first gen, you're still, you're still not sure. That's right. But look that's at right. all this... I mean, this is quite. This is the longest. You yeah, actually our, our little briefing we packet. We <laughs> <laughs> usually it's one page. Not to like, the other alums are amazing, but this is. Uh, I have three. Yes, three pages of notes of all your research and publications and your training and your consulting work. And what is your what is your favorite thing of all the things? Is it the consulting? Is it the teaching? The writing? It's the people. It's it it it's it's the uh, yeah it's it's the people. I, I am so blessed. I mean, I get to go to work every day, and I get to interact with twenty five to thirty patients. And when you really think about that as a healthcare provider, it's a lot of people in a day. It is. It is. <laughs> it, it, it can be. But you know, it's. I always try to put myself in the patient's position, and and I've been a patient too right and and to go to a doctor and I'm a specialist so you know you you one you got to find somebody you've got to trust somebody mm-hmm. you've got to make a phone call you've got to drive you got to take time off of work there's a lot of things you have to do just to commit to get to that appointment so when people come in to me and see me I'm never in a rush to get rid of them mm-hmm. and I tell my patients all the time I will never run on time yeah. Never. I just never just run on time. Just come to your appointment late. Because you'll give them the time. Maybe. Absolutely. Which is what anybody wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and so with that, what I always say is that I happen to take care of problems of the foot and ankle, which mm-hmm. I love doing, right? But I take care of people. And I will tell you, taking care of the problems of the foot and ankle for me at this point in my career, that's usually figured out within two to three minutes. The other 15 to 20 minutes is me engaging them with something that I find interesting. Are How they did fu- you get to the foot and ankle? Is that- yeah. I'm glad you asked because I got this issue. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Rob's looking While for you're a here, free consultation. Yeah, I'm a runner, so that's this left, this left thing. I got this. I, I, you know, again, this is one of those things that I wish that I could tell you there was something definitive in my life that said I made a choice to do this. It didn't. These are things that just kind of fell in my lap, and and this is how it went. Do you have any advice for us people with <laughs> that might be the greatest question that's been ever asked, ever. Not even on this podcast, but possibly ever. Well, Rob runs, which I can't Yeah, no, say. I, I do run. I run. Yeah. And, 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 you know, obviously there's a lot of issues in that sure. space and trying sure. to make sure you have the right running shoes and, you know, they have hip strength because that affects everything. It's, it's very, you know, I had a physical therapy a couple of years back because I thought I was yeah. having some knee issues. So I thought, all right, going to the physical therapist, they'll go right for that left knee, right? So I was... And this is this is going to sound ridiculous, so you can laugh at this, but yeah. I really wanted an MRI. You did? Right? I did. Of your friend? Dr. Google. They Do- always, Dr. Google came so in they, to see me. They didn't, want, they didn't want to give me an MRI. And I was like, no, I'm getting an MRI. So the <laughs> night before. And your insurance was like, no, you're not. No. So I finally get one doctor to get me the MRI script, right? So I said, he's going to see something. So the night before my MRI, I go to the gym. And I run as hard as I can for three miles because I'm like, I'm going to inflame this. We're going to see this for real. We get in there and the guy basically comes out. He looks at everything. He goes, well, uh, it's just like an age thing. You're fine. I was like, I am not fine. There's something else. I know. (laughs) It's a meniscus. I was like, of course, a meniscus. But yes, like, how do you how do you work in that space? And this goes back to why do I like to do sports medicine? So sports medicine to me is really neat. And then 
as you point out, some of these different levels, right? Whether or not it's a Division two, three, one, uh, professional teams, Olympic teams, uh, whichever you know. And what you find is that in order to be really successful in this, as you go up in these levels, let's say from young people to middle age to whichever to these level of athletes, what I tend to find is our margin of error gets smaller and smaller, right? So your expertise has to be better and better. So you would hope that would be the benefit of what you would gain as the regular person you rob running, that when you go and run, that when you see the sports medicine specialist that you know is known for knees, that he or her is bringing that same level of expertise that they would be giving to the professional athlete Mm. for you, right? And that's what I like to do. Because when you start working with these higher level athletes, as I say, the margin of error is a lot smaller. Sure. And so your accuracy needs to be really on. And so what I've learned is that, because I teach other residents now, and I tell them when you practice sports medicine, anyone can treat or diagnose sport-related injuries. But there's five questions you should be able to answer after each one. And this, this evolved from working with the Spurs uh, because I found that what was being asked of us and what we needed to be able to provide. Because I learned that coaches don't necessarily mind injuries, of course. They like to have predictability. So if the, if the, if the player is out, that's fine. I, can, I got plan B. But when can that player be back, right? So they they like to do it. If not, then they're on the training staff and we go from there. So what I learned very early on in my career was that there was a few things that they needed. And so these are my five tenets of questions. And that is, and this is applicable to anyone, your your audience, you, anyone. And I tell patients this, here's what you need to ask your doctors. And that is, if you're going for, let's say, a sports-related injury, right? Um, And number one is, what is my diagnosis? What is it? What, what is it? What, is it one? Is it two diagnoses? And write it down, right? And then that diagnosis or diagnoses, what's the severity of it, right? Because doctors, we like to grade things. And if we grade them, that allows us to be able to determine how to treat them and how to get. And so you need to know what your diagnosis is. What's the severity of it? So the classification, we like to use one, two, or three, or mild, moderate, severe. Vagueness doesn't work in professional leagues, right? So we need to know exactly uh, what it is, what's the severity, what's the proper treatment for it based on evidence-based medicine. Then number four is most important, and every athlete has this, even your high school athletes, middle school athletes, you. Number four, when can I play again? Mm-hmm. When can I play? Yeah. That's the number one question we get from from all sports people to come in. And then fifth is a little bit more important to the professional athletes because of the agents and contracts, and that is, What's the long-term ramifications of this injury? So even if you know what it is, you diagnose it, you treat it perfectly, they, you heal them, they recover and they play, but what's the long-term ramifications of it? So when a player comes up and maybe they're on a three-year contract, they're good for two years, but what are they in their third year, right? What are they, so you have an ACL tear, you have an Achilles tendon rupture. What is the long-term outcomes of those? So and that, as we can see now in professional sports, the money is so big and now the money is getting really big in, the, in college with NIL. Um, so they need to know that because if somebody has that significant injury, you know, Tommy John surgery yeah. or dislocating shoulder or something, well, boy, are we going to sign that, that, that athlete for another five years of $150 bucks? What do you think it's going? You think that injury is going to last? What do, do you, you think, get, Doc? Do you get um, agents and oh, absolutely, and uh, absolutely. managers reaching out to you like, what's the Abs- what's the skinny on this player? Abs- what, are, what are they worth investing? It's really interesting too when we um, 
Are you allowed to give their information? Well, I guess there's got to be some sort of... No, well, I... No. Usually, no, we don't. What we can divulge is things that have already been made public, Mm -hmm. right? We we can do that. So if an agent or a player or their family decides to make things public, then we can talk about it. And I've been been contacted before to say, hey, what do you think about so-and-so's injury or so? Mm -hmm. And then I can give my lowdown on it. But... uh, uh, so that that's what's significant, those five things. And I think that really separates people out. So to me, it's no different than you as a father or mother or whomever. Because I tell all my patients, because the name of our practice is Sports Medicine Associates. So I'll have pe- people that come in, they go, God, I, you know, I'm not an athlete, but I'm here. I'm like, but you are an athlete. Mm-hmm. Because if you read in my bio, what I will say is that every one of us are an athlete at some point. Because the sport's called life. Yep. And you're going to either choose to compete in life and get up every day and compete in life or you're going to start to die. Mm. And so life is a harder sport than anything we'll play in high school, college, or professional. You know, getting up and going to work and having a sore knee, a sore back. I mean, everyone has that, right? I got that's it now. A, right? That's <laughs> me too. Me, me too. But that's, I like that I can consider myself an you athlete. Are, that's but not you, something but I've you ever are. considered myself before. And let me so – since you brought it up, um, yeah. um, Dr. Google, but – how has your practice or how has your interactions with patients evolved? Because people maybe do come in and say, hey, I happen to Google and uh, this is what I have. Mm-hmm. You know, because before What you, happens when Rob walks in? Yes, <laughs> essentially, yeah. Rob when I, when I come into your office and say, my knee pain is this, and I tell you what it is. You know, I actually enjoy it. I do. I, I, it, well, you it, like it, playing with them? Is that what it is? No, like no, 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 silly? no, no, no. It's actually, it's pretty interesting. Now, I will tell you probably 10 years ago it was annoying. Um, it was annoying because the internet was still yeah. earlier, it, but there are some really, really good resources on the internet. Absolutely. And I will direct patients to it now. Uh, when patients have a diagnosis for me, I'll give them a link to places to get more education because I can only teach so much mm-hmm. in, a, in a given setting. And I want them to understand what they got. Uh, as I will tell patients, look, my job is not to mandate something on you. My job is about to educate you about what you have and here are your options it's it's your body you choose how you want to be treated here are your options and i'll discuss with you the pros and cons of each of those and what you can expect but i do like when they bring in information because i would like to say to myself that as a professional who likes to consider themselves an expert in what i do that you shouldn't be able to bring me anything that i'm not aware of and that you shouldn't be able to bring me anything that i can't discuss with you and if you do, we can discuss it. Well, yeah. what you did do was come all the way from San Antonio to hang out with us. And we are so grateful. We're going to send you back to the warmth. You know, this is a great series. And I, I've listened to some of the things that you've produced. And as this morning when I was meeting with the president, I, you know, for all of you all that are here, you know, just and, and for WGLS and everyone, just, you know, thank you. Thank you as an, as an alumni for uh, everything you all do to promote the university, to uh, move it forward, to make it a better place every day. So one of the things I loved about the interview there with Mark is a, he he's he seems to be curious about a lot of things. Yes. Right? And then the other piece of it was how he pulled in a lot of he applied a lot of the lessons that he's learned through his time in school and how to sort of navigate different elements of his life into practical application in life. Yeah. And that was just really for me kind of like all right he he gets it he's a sticking point i don't know i was kind of stuck on the like getting kicked out of kindergarten and like all the trouble in school is that because you have two younger ones and you're, I, I you're just so. worried I have two about little their boys bad? and i'm like oh my gosh imagine they got kicked out of kindergarten well, that, that means that they become so doctors stressful. i know but that's the thing it's like you just really don't know yeah. what 
your future holds. And, you know, sometimes I think you're, you know, tagged like a troublemaker or something, and then you get put in this box. But, like, you don't have to live in that box. You have all these endless opportunities out there. All it takes is maybe a change of thought or, like, a mentor. Like he was talking about someone to believe in you and bring you up alongside of them and see potential in you that maybe you didn't see in yourself. So I think that's pretty neat. Great to have Mark back here on the show. And great to have him on campus. And great to have We're him on campus. We're not letting him leave. We're going to, what are you, you going to do with Dr. Allen after well, you leave the studios? I don't know. I don't know. What should we do? Opportunities are endless. I know. There's so much to do here on campus these days. We can maybe even crack open an algebra book for good okay, old time's sake. I was going to say, an algebra book wasn't what came to mind first. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, you never know what he'll have in store for you. That is true. So grateful to have Dr. Allen on today's show. We'll see you next time with another great Rowan alumni story. You've been listening to Beyond the Brown and Gold on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. You can find more episodes on your favorite podcasting platforms by searching for Beyond the Brown and Gold or Rowan Radio On Demand.